Welcome back. It's Howl History again. I'm Derek. as Chad. We're going to talk about the Timberwolves, and we've got a lot to talk about, Chad. How was your week? Uh, pretty good. It's been exciting. We get to, I'm like starting to feel the bug for basketball to start. I know. It's been. Uh, it's funny because you remember how we talked about last year uh, before the draft when we were like, well, what could you get for this number one pick? The Timberwolves have to be considering trading it for a star. Could you get Ben Simmons for the number one pick? Could you get, you know... Devin Booker at the time for the number one pick. And then after we got it, or after we drafted Ant, and we started like taking a look at all of the reports, you know, post-draft, I was like, no, I wouldn't trade this thing for the world. And now, of course, Ant wouldn't be included in those trades. But I kind of feel the same way about like the entire roster right now. Media Day week and the beginning of training camp is kind of like, you know what? A week ago, I would have traded half these guys for if, you, if, it, if you brought in an all-star like Ben Simmons. But it's like they get up there for one interview and you start seeing pictures from training camp and they got the jerseys on again. It's like, nope, these are my guys. I'm in. I think I think I was probably at that point a little earlier than you then because when we were going <laughs> back and forth about what we could give yep. up for Simmons and I'm like, I mean, to be honest, I wasn't even feeling good about giving up you know Beasley and Beverly because I'm a big Beverly guy. I'm like excited about him being on the team. I'm, you know, I, I was super hot on uh, Beasley's performance last year just – you know, I mean, like we we've talked about multiple times. I think he was the second best player on the team. So, yeah, it's I feel you, man. Like I, at the same time, like then I I see clips of Simmons. I'm like, man, it would be nice to have him here. But yeah, but it's one of those deals where it's like it's almost like fantasy where you're like, okay, you only have so many spots, and you're like, but I really like this guy, even though I don't necessarily think he's going to be a big numbers guy this year. I don't want to give up on him. You know, it's like there's a lot of guys on this team like that too like mm-hmm. a, a nathan knight to me that's a project i just want to stash like i you know like i mean he he has no there's no brand loyalty there he hasn't even played a regular season game for us yet but just from seeing him in uh summer league and, and the little bit i saw of him last year with atlanta he's he's one of those guys i'm excited about too yeah i mean i th- it's funny that you mentioned beverly because like he's one of the guys that i haven't even thought about this week because he didn't do an interview at media day you haven't seen any pictures of him coming out from the social media team it's if he's there, I'm not even. I'm not even sure he's there yet. You know, so. he is. I saw a report. That I was going to ask you, so I guess you wouldn't know. But they said he was there and practicing with the team, even on media day. But he wasn't available for media, which I was like, "Yeah, what's up weird. with that?" Uh, it made me think: Is he in a conversation for a trade, or is like what? Is there a you know bio possibility? I like it. Just seemed kind of peculiar that of. All the guys that you are trying to promote here, that's one of your biggest... I mean, he's certainly bigger than Torian Prince. Yeah, as an off-season acquisition, especially. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, so, like, I I was really puzzled by it. But then, at the same time, I saw them saying how, um, like, McKinley Wright was, you know, already talking to Beverly because Mm -hmm. they're kind of similar backgrounds in terms of not uh, a big get coming out of school and but they're they're going to make their bones on defense and you know have to hustle and make their way but so i don't it, that was weird that he wasn't available for media day yeah i don't know why i didn't speak you know i i heard a few other people or saw a couple of tweets like he's around and not speaking or he's coming from this other thing and never it was no, none of them were ever anything where i was like that's concerning you know in my yeah. head like they yeah. just kind of all passed by and i was like oh okay but now that like now that I try to think back on the the accumulation of all of them, I'm like it's just weird looking back on it. Well, and if he was there, like yeah. I think it was Dane said, he goes, well, he he's here, he's around, he's in the building, and because I, I listened to his and Kyle Tiggy's podcast when they were 
you know, the day of media day and they were kind of going through everybody and they were saying, yeah, Beverly's here. He's, he's practicing with the team, but he didn't, wasn't available for media day. But now that I don't know if I saw even pictures of him from the, you know, the Wolves no, were posting right. other pictures. I don't recall. I haven't. A picture yeah, of him. No. Yeah. And then I, I follow, start following him when we made the trade, um, start following him on Instagram and stuff. And I saw that he was like in Italy, like just the day before. So I don't know what this, this, Scoop is there like just I don't know yeah maybe it's a developing uh story here well we never know but it was media day everybody showed back up we got to see him for the first time in months uh there you know there have been pictures been reports of the guys going down to Miami or gathering to to practice all off season but this is the first time they've been able to do it with the coaches and really get their game plan set uh which you know Chad that means uh muscle watch 2021 as uh, all the players come in from around the league saying that they put on 15, 20 pounds of muscle or, or whatever it happens to be. You know, we had a couple guys with, with body changes, but nothing of, of that ilk. Carl actually came in and he said he weighed in at training camp at 240. And he said he's been, you know, upwards of 270 the last couple of years. So um, coming in at a lighter weight. I, the excuse he used was that in past years, he did the team didn't have any power forwards. So he needed to have all of the, the bulk to take the down, the pounding down though. I don't know what the difference is in this roster that he would make him think any differently, but well, I read something today that he had been consulting with Ben Wallace about, yeah. uh, you know, how, what body plans. Yeah. Yeah. And and how he should kind of prepare for that, which that's not a bad guy to look. I mean, you know, Ben Wallace, they had totally different physiques. I mean, Ben Wallace was, you know, shredded like a WWE wrestler in Mm -hmm. the steroid era. But he, but he was uh, similar in the sense that he was a shorter center, like Cat. Um, so if Cat wants to, uh, you know, kind of use his methodology for if it helps on defense, or, you know, hey, I mean, who who might uh, disagree, you know? Um, so that was a ch- I did, but Dane and Kyle did mention that they that both Ant and Beasley also packed on some weight, mm-hmm. um, that they both look noticeably bigger, and and uh, at least in the ant side of things, you know, Dane was saying that he looked noticeably stronger. Um, I think mean, Kyle said the same about Beasley, but I, I didn't get the vibe that Dane was necessarily agreeing that it was muscle. Like he just said, he, you know, he agreed that he was bigger, but didn't really, I couldn't read, get a read on him whether he agreed that it was the yeah. right kind of weight or not. <laughs> um, so I, you know, Beasley has never looked like a guy that's been out of shape. So I can't imagine he's let himself go in one summer, but, um, uh, no, and they also said that even through his uh, his sentencing this this off season, he did have time to get released for for workouts and exercise and whatnot yeah. to make sure that he was still keeping up on his his training regimens. So and and he was the guy on social media that's very Jimmy Butler esque, where he posts all of his yeah. three a.m. workouts and all that stuff. <laughs> so I can't imagine all of a sudden there's a a shift there. No, um, so I'm sure. you know he's still busting his butt to be as good as he can be. Yeah, yeah they asked exactly. him what he's been working on. He said. Uh, he said playmaking and ball handling, and they asked him why, and I think he said because I sucked at it. Yeah, which was awesome. Yeah. Awesome response, I thought. Yeah, so. it, it, I mean, there's a lot of good responses overall at the at the. I mean, lots of little details, um, just little things they said that you know by themselves maybe don't mean anything, but you look at the whole picture with kind of what's been going on with this team. It it, it just had a very positive vibe. I felt like. 
Yeah, it's been funny watching all the pictures come through from the, the Wolves social media team, and it's like, well, I want to see if these guys are actually taller, what they, you know, in comparison to last year, what I expect them to be. And it's like, you know, you're judging them from different angles, and it's like, well, Ant is standing next to D'Lo, but the angle's a little off, so their heads look like they're the same height, but Ant's shoulders are higher, so maybe his, his neck is bent, and is he, how much taller is he than D'Lo? Because D'Lo's 6'5", and it says that you're trying to go through all the math in your head, you know, it's the, the math.gif of, like, putting all the things together, trying to figure <laughs> it out as you're moving forward. But uh, one guy, definitely, that is inconsequentially taller or undoubtedly taller is Jaden McDaniels. That, yeah. He's as tall as cat is now. And I don't know what else to, to say, but that guy's going to be a freak. Yeah. That picture, the first picture I saw was him up on the podium sitting on the stool and it's, he's just all legs. I was like, Holy <laughs> I'm like, it was just, I mean, he's got, you know, I mean, you know, I said it before too, but he, he looks so much like a young KG the way he's built. I mean, he doesn't have the shoulders. That he, no. Like, yeah. He, KG, I mean, KG never got like super big either, um, despite having pretty broad shoulders. But um, certainly, you know, I don't know that we, we can ever expect Jaden to even get to be KG size in terms of the weight, just because he's got a narrower frame. Mm-hmm. Uh, but his arms and legs look longer, which, you know, when you look at sort of athletically, like the, the better athletes in across any sport, they have shorter torsos and longer limbs which allows him to be more explosive and stuff. And so that kind of bodes well for his him flying around and blocking shots. I mean, obviously, KG was all-world defensively. So yeah. I'm not saying he'll be as good as KG defensively, but that could be you know, something that he could be freakishly good at with that physique. Yeah, I think we saw a lot of uh, perimeter defense out of him last year, and we were very high on that. We also saw a lot of help defense. It would be nice if he could eventually put on – even just enough weight or enough muscle to have some low post defense as well to be able to bang with some guys. But I mean, I don't, I hope that's not what they're hoping for this year. We, neither of us, as we talked about in the last episode, want to see him as a starting power forward. We'd love love to see him as small forward. So, yeah, I I think he's best at the three because then he can kind of help on all over the place. He's kind of right in the middle. Um, I do think though, he's stronger than he looks too, because he, so this reminds me of when, um, back when Rashad McCants played, and I'm not supposed <laughs> to at all, but Rashad was one of those guys that was, he wasn't a very big two guard, like he was shorter, but he was, you know, thick, but he was, I remember a play where Carmelo Anthony gets a ball in the post and is posting up um, McCants and he's just, it's like, oh, I got this kid. And he just starts trying to back him down and he couldn't budge him mm-hmm. to the point where Melo stopped, kind of dribbled up, turned and looked back. It was like, that's still a, do they switch on me? And then he realized, oh, no, it's McCants. And so he went right back and tried to back him down again. And eventually he had to pass out of it because he couldn't move him. And there were plays that Jaden did that with much bigger guys at the four. Where, you know, it was just a, a mix-up on defense where, you know, they, they got crossed up and Jaden had to switch onto Vando's guy or whatever. And I remember seeing him like, okay, he would probably get worn down if he had to do that all game because he's so much – he's given up so much weight to them. But – in those small moments, I think he's got the muscle and the strength, yeah. even if he looks skinny, to be able to to hold his own with a lot. I mean, you know, there's going to be the freakish guys that, like, you know, the same guys that beat up on Cat down low because they're so much bigger. Um, but, you know, 90% of the power forwards in the league, he, I think he can stop them in the post and limited you know, situations per game. Like you don't want to play him 35 minutes down there because he'll wear down by the third and fourth quarter, I think. But 
um, I think he could certainly hold his own for now, you know, in, in, in spot up duty. Yeah, you know, if he gets switched onto a power forward, even on a center, he's absolutely was able to hold his own last year. You know, I think we we're just trying to protect him from having to do it full time. Um, right. You know what? You know, man, watching these guys come in, especially with the added height, it made me th- think, uh, you know, Jed, I wish I was a little bit taller. Oskilo. I know. I, <laughs> and if I'm being honest, I wish I was a baller. <laughs> wish you had a girl so that you could call her? Yeah. I wish I had a rabbit in a hat with a bat and a 6'4 Impala. But. Nobody wants an Impala these days. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it'd be an expensive ride so the, all of the all the players spoke like we said except for beverly um it actually they actually started though with uh the three owners stepping up and doing kind of an introductory press conference uh they did not talk about rosas they did not talk about ben simmons glenn was kind of a, a shadow hanging over the whole thing he's just kind of a drag anytime he speaks these days because you just want him to be out of the picture and he doesn't really add anything to it anymore but um I don't know. I, I don't think I'm ever going to get used to the, seeing Alex Rodriguez associated with the Timberwolves, no matter how long it takes. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, he he's actually, and I, you know, I haven't watched a lot of A-Rod outside of baseball, and even I didn't watch a lot of him in baseball either. Um, but seeing him up there, he's, a, he's actually a really well-spoken guy. Yeah, he is. Um, I, I was impressed by his... his um, sort of charisma on, I mean, in, in terms of that sort of role, I mean, obviously he was a huge star in baseball, but just, I just didn't necessarily expect him to be that polished as a speaker, you know, as well. Um, so, you know, um, that, you know, good for him. I mean, I, you know, I think Mark Lohr is, is definitely going to be the main machine there in mm-hmm. that ownership group. So, I mean, I think, you know, A-Rod specifically talked about his main point that, he brought up was he can be on to help the players to help them to help see things from a player's point of view to help make a franchise that players want to be that you know all the way down to the shower heads to make sure that this is things are being set up and run in a way that you know the snacks and the training rooms are what they need and you know it's just that he can see it from their perspective that he can kind of um be an advocate a player's advocate within the ownership group within the front office and uh you know one of the the big things that he brought up which i think is very true is with the success that he's had post career, I know he made what three hundred million dollars as a baseball player, but the success he's had as a businessman after leaving baseball, like you mentioned, Magic Johnson and Michael Jordan as two of the the people that he picks the brains of quite often. Like he said, he wants to bring that as an offering to the players on the Timberwolves, like to help them be successful post basketball, and that's just another like if the Wolves are looking to get to a point where you know, like I. I've in the back of my mind this whole summer I've been like get Ben Simmons make the Timberwolves like a a clutch sports destination you know kind of build up that reputation and actually have something a feather in your cap or something in your back pocket where it's like you have this relationship you know it's like do something to make the Timberwolves not just fly over country for NBA players you know and but A-Rod could be a stepping stone towards being somewhere that players actually want to be to get a, a leg up or to have those relationships or build, you know, build on that with, especially with the business acumen he's able to provide and what he's built up in his career. Well, certainly. And Dane also brought up a point on Finch where Finch had said that he, the coaching staff's job is to improve the marketability or the value mm-hmm. um, of the players while they're here. And, and that could be the other part of that. So like if you have an owner who is going to be involved in maybe helping them 
you know, have careers outside of basketball and kind of make that transition when their playing days are done. And then you have a, a coach who in the immediate, you know, term is trying to improve them to make them more desirable to other teams or their own team so that it drives their market value up. That's also an attractive, like, you know, just having a coach that gets that, you know, that's like, hey, you know, I get, I, I know I want to keep this guy, but I know at the end of the day, the goal for them is to make money. The goal for me is to win, you know, and the players, their goal is to win too, but it is second to making money, you know, until you get to that, you know, Chris Paul stage in your life where you've got all the money in the world. Now you're chasing rings, you know, most of your career is about making money. So that could be a nice little um, one-two punch between the, the ownership philosophy and the the coaching philosophy by looking at players as more than just an asset or a commodity for this team right now. Yeah, I, uh, I was scrolling through my time hop earlier today, and I had a tweet from like seven years ago saying that I don't think any team in the league has more players with something to prove than the Timberwolves do. And I was like, I was like, it feels like you could put this every year, but... I was like, what roster even was that? And I went and I looked. I was like, the Andrew Wiggins, Anthony Bennett, Ricky Rubio, you know, Zach Levine, Kevin Martin roster before they got Towns, but after they traded Love. And I was kind of, I was like, I guess there are a bunch, some guys on that roster who like had chips on their shoulders or who the world had given up on, and they you know needed to make a statement for themselves. But man, t- listening to these guys come through with their interviews this year. It's like a lot of guys are really trying to uh, get a new contract for themselves. Like it's really a make or break year for quite a few guys, you know, and they even brought it up openly in their interviews. You know, like D'Lo said, this is a contract year for him, which it's not, but he's extension eligible next year. And as we even talked about in the last episode, like with the changing of the guard from Gerson Rosas to Sashin Gupta, like maybe he's not the golden boy anymore. So he's got to determine whether or not he's going to have value around the league. And if he's going to either re up here, or if he's going to have value to be traded, it's like a lot of these guys have make or break years with this team because they know this team is having a make or break year. If the Timberwolves go 32, you know, win 32 games and they hit their, you know, right at their over under, like stuff's going to happen and it's not going to be good. So I think, you know, you talk about that marketability and the, the coaching staff trying to get these guys put up, you know, put into place to, up their value around the league like the number one task on that has to come down to winning because if these guys even if Delo's stats t- take a step back but they come out and they're on a 50 win pace through the first 25 games that's a much different look than if he's averaging 27 but they're only at a you know 35 percent winning percentage yeah and i mean I watched, um, I mentioned to you before we jumped on, the podcast, J.J. Reddick's podcast, and it was an old episode with D'Lo, and it was from basically a year ago because it was last September. Um, and it was interesting to hear him talk about what he felt great about while joining the Wolves. And he, he, he mentioned uh, Rosas several times, saying that he made him feel really comfortable, which is kind of what we talked about last week when the whole dismissal came down because we were like, well, what does that mean for D'Lo, because right. D'Lo was sort of what's this guy, and then immediately day we hear D'Lo say, I mean, I, I just was thinking about how I'm going to sink this putt, you know, because he was out on the golf course when he heard it, so he dismissed it at face value, like it didn't matter to him, but I don't, you know, I think he might have been just, D'Lo's a really smart guy when he's being interviewed, I thought that on every Zoom meeting and stuff where D'Lo knows how to, to create a thoughtful answer that doesn't, isn't cliche, 
but also isn't going to get him into a back and forth with somebody like mm-hmm. on, on elaborating things. I think it was just a brilliant. I think D'Lo it probably does concern him a little bit um, for for multiple reasons. But in that Reddick interview, just kind of watching it yesterday and then kind of playing over what he was saying at media day and everything that's happened. He talked about how important Rosas was, but he also talked about how important having a max deal and being sort of set now for a few years because he has security. He, he knows he's not likely to be traded in the next year or two on this contract. And so hearing him at media day, he kind of dismissed the Rosas thing, which I think might've been a bit of a smoke screen, but then he also mentioned the contract already I do think he is a little bit hungrier and thinking about, okay, all right, Cat's eligible for an extension next year. I could be eligible for an extension. If we're really going to commit to this thing long-term, this is our chance. We could both get our extensions mm-hmm. next summer um, and, you know, kind of have our path the next four or five years of our career together. Um, so, yeah, I, I agree with your sentiment that in D'Lo case, even though he's not up for a contract this year or, you know, technically he's not expiring or anything, it is a contract year for him from that mindset for him. It's a stability thing. Yeah. Because I mean, if it doesn't work out this year with the Timberwolves, he's being traded again. The wolves are trying to get anything they can for him. And he's got one year left on a con a prove it contract somewhere. And he's not looking at a max extension. He's not even looking at anywhere near a max extension. If he gets traded to another team, you know, in a fashion other than like for Ben Simmons, you know, if he's not moving up, if he's actually being traded down for pieces or for picks or we're just kind of like, this didn't work. We need to, you need to try it somewhere else. Like he's not a max guy anymore. No, so no. is Minnesota probably maybe Philadelphia or bust, you know, in terms of his financial, you know, capacity moving forward? Yeah. Unless something else crazy happens. I mean, in the league, I mean, who knows? I mean, there's, you know, I saw the report tonight that somebody asked around the league and said that Kyrie Irving is virtually worth nothing right now, that no team would trade anything for him right now. Would a, let's say Kyrie, and Kyrie's threatened to retire even, you know, at different points in the last, you know, six to 12 months. Um, if he would Brooklyn welcome a guy like D'Lo back because he had success there. You know, when they're up against a wall, when they when they're losing a star, mm-hmm. and they, you know, and you know, so those he might have a path that way. I, I don't even really necessarily want to explore that because I I want him here because <laughs> you know unless it's for a Ben Simmons trade, I like I do believe in D'Lo and Cat's uh, ability to play together and make this team a playoff, you know, perennial playoff team, not just a sort of one and done either. Yeah, I think we see the potential there. Uh, hopefully Gupta does as well. He was brought up quite a bit um, throughout the different you know, press conferences, uh, especially when the owners are t- talking. They ask, you know, who are you going to lean on? Who's going to be the guy? You know, how stable are things? And even Glenn point said Sashin is going to be the guy that we're going to point to. We're going to let him make the basketball decisions. He's encouraged to do anything he can for the job. Um, you know, as it's been reported in multiple places, he did not have – uh, the interim tag put on him. He also didn't get a promotion, but he didn't necessarily need one. He already has the title of uh, executive vice president, which is the same title that like Sam Presti and David Griffin have. So those are very, you know, two highly respected guys throughout the league who are running their basketball operations department. So it's not like it's not like Gupta's coming in at general manager and general manager is no longer the title of the head basketball guy anymore. It's he, he has a title commensurate with the position. So 
Um, they didn't need to make that change. I don't know how long his contract goes for, but you know, it doesn't sound like there's going to be anything short of a year or a season here for him to really put his imprint on this and prove that you know he can get them to the next step. I would be like the number one thing that I would be surprised about is if he does hold Pat. I don't know how many options he has outside of continuing to push for Ben Simmons, but um, it would be a little surprising to me if he just kind of kept Gerson Rosas's roster and tried to use that as a way to prove that he was worthy of the long-term job. Uh, yeah, unless it's really Gupta's roster. Right, which... In the sense that he's the one that would bring the players to Gerson and say, okay, here's the guys. You know, I hear... Hey, boss, you, you asked me to go and get a short list of players that can fit this role. Here's the guys I have identified as the best ones for that role. I could see that, you mm-hmm. know, being a, a situation where he keeps them. But, I mean, it was, I think the other thing that surprised me, or not the other, it was the really the only thing that surprised me about this whole press conference was, or media day, was how little Rosas loomed over yeah. the day. Like, you know, I thought it was so nuts that they fired him just days before media day. And even though, I mean, it made sense, you're not going to want to do it after media day because then the media day was completely worthless. Every story that the reporters are there to cover becomes, you know, irrelevant the moment you, you fire him after that fact. But, um, I do think there's things we're going to miss. So in the same podcast that Dilo was on with JJ Reddick, he mentioned that, there, uh, JJ Reddick actually was telling the story to Delo. He's like, "Hey, what I was, I had just made my decision. I was going to sign with New Orleans this past summer. This was, you know, last mm-hmm. fall." And he said, "But I get my agent gets a call from Garrison Rosas and said, hey, I, I understand JJ's, you know, pretty confident he's made his decision, but we have this package we wanted to send to him with our pitch, and is it okay if we still send it to him?" And JJ said, "He, you know." My agent asked, and I said, well, it's fine, but I don't know what he thinks it's going to change. I mean, I've already committed to the yeah. Pelicans. I'm not going to withdraw now. And uh, But he gets the package, and it was he said it was like they had custom shoes painted for him with like, I can't remember the exact number. It was like 342 or something. J.J. Redick shoots 342 three-pointers every single day to, to work on a shot. Well, they knew this about him, and they had the, these custom shoes with the 342 painted on them, and mm-hmm. um, they had twins jerseys made up for his his kids and they got his wife some really thoughtful gifts and reddick said he was blown away by the level of detail and the thoughtfulness of the gifts that they sent to him to the point where he's like i've never ever had anything like that from anywhere else in the league which says something about a guy who's been in the league 13 years right. being that taken back and then delo was like hey i i had the same experience with them i had the famous helicopter ride and this mm-hmm. and that and you know, he's listening off all these things. And so I do hope that the Wolves don't get away from that because I do think in order to be competitive with the Miamis and the LAs and some of these other more desirable climates that people want to go to, that the Wolves need to, you know, kind of up the ante in their, their um, presentation game. And yeah. so I, I hope Gupta, I don't, that, that, I don't know that Gupta is as comfortable in, as the salesman like that yep. Rosas was. Um, so that is the one, you know, weakness there. Uh, however, I think Finch is just as comfortable as Ryan was that summer that Ryan and Rosas worked together, but probably a little better at it than Ryan. Ryan came across as being over eager on things, and they 
I don't remember if it was Dane's podcast or somebody else talking about it, but I did somebody else said this and I couldn't agree more where they said, uh, Ryan sort of annoyed Delo in a little bit mm-hmm. with his rah, 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 sort of cheer him on and kind of attitude because it's just not how Delo vibes. Yeah. But in, in the media day, you heard about how much Delo was like, I, I love Chris Finch. Like he really is bought in on, on Finch. And I think Finch's laid back style and then his authenticity as a coach has just won a lot of these guys over. So I think he could he could kind of become the the point man on the sales side of a, you know these kind of wooing guys over. You know, I mean we're we're a year removed from that yet now because now we're yeah. about to start the season. We don't have to worry about it. But I do think Finch and Gupta could be a nice you know tandem that way where where Finch's role is increased further than what Ryan's was in that same position with when Rosas was here yeah two thoughts on that I, I I feel I agree I feel like they lost a salesman um you know that you brought up the Miami Heat like they have the competency out of the head coach position in Spolstra as well as the salesman in Pat Riley like they've got the best of both worlds like they can walk you in and they can say like this is a first class franchise on the basketball side of it and we're also going to make you feel special like the Timberwolves for years have had one or the other, maybe at times, not neither. You know, I feel like Flip was and a pretty. Riley, Riley's really both. Yeah, like, and he's, he's both also too. Like, yeah, like so I mean, he's a coach. Those, yeah, yeah, he's one of those unique. Like I'm trying to think. I mean, Pop might be the only other guy in the league that has got that same sort of, um, you know, Renaissance man esque quality where he can Pop's do a little got bit the of same all. respect as Riley. I don't know if I'd even say that Pop is as good at the, at the salesman stuff. Like the Spurs have never been yeah. a recruiting team, you know? Yeah, yeah. I, I'm not saying he's as good as Riley at the sales or recruiting piece. I'm just saying as as far as coaches around the league go, if I couldn't have Riley to do the yeah. both jobs, the sales and the coaching, I would probably, you know, want Pop. Because yeah. I think Pop is one of those guys that just culturally – I think he went like a lot of players respect him. Um, so I think his sales pitch would be different than Riley. He's not going to come in with the swag and like that super cool factor that Pat Riley has. Like, I mean, Pat Riley is the coolest guy in every room he walks into. That's not pop. However, pop comes in and they're going to be like, Oh, that's the guy that speaks his mind. Basically, you know, toys with the media. You know, like they like that, that guy. Plus he's wanted a boatload of titles. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so, I mean, you, so you need the, – the problem with the Wolves in the past, especially over the past couple of years, is you need the competency before the salesmanship works. Mm-hmm. Like, J.J. Reddick still didn't choose the Timberwolves, and D'Angelo Russell still didn't even choose the Timberwolves. Like, right. So the salesmanship doesn't do anything if they can't look at the franchise and say, that's a place that's going to be the best for me in my career. Which, Although I will say, they both did say the Wolves were their second choice. Yeah. Which is a step – Above where we've ever been. It's, it's true. That's very true. But, you know, so now having Chris Finch in the door and having him be that, if things go well this this year, we, I don't know one person who isn't super high on Chris Finch and what he's going to do with the Timberwolves right, this year. Right. So, if, I mean, if they win 30 games again, then pff, whatever. You know, it's the same old, same old, and Chris Finch is just another in the long line of Timberwolves coaches. But Depending if you, on what happens, if it's injury plagued and Maybe, whatever. yeah, but, you know, if it's just a standard 30-win year and yeah. it's just we're blowing it up again, it's like whatever, you know, but... I think everybody's very high on him, and they're very much under the impression that, you know, people nationally, especially, you know, betters, you know, which is where those 
plus minus numbers get set. Vegas is just trying to get bets on both sides of the ledger. You know, people don't know what's happening in Minnesota right now, what happened at the end of the year, where the, you know, what is being set by that team and that front office and that coaching staff. So we're hoping that it's very much a, a surprise team and a surprise season. And if Chris Finch can do that, then the competency is in, is there, you know, they can see some of these guys who have had their reputations down being built back up and setting themselves up for success. And the same thing that Finch talked about it, you know, at media day with, we want to make sure that these guys are being set up to increase their value as well. That could make a big difference around the league. The only other concern that I had with, with Gupta is, is not only just the salesman part, but like, I think you mentioned earlier, like maybe it was Gupta bringing the guys to Rosas and then Rosas, you know, pulling the trigger, like, I think if there's one thing that we knew about Rosas coming into the job, it was that his background was as a scout. And except for the Jarrett Culver transaction and pick, like I think we could look at almost all of the actual scouting and player selection that he's done and give him a lot of credit for the guys that he's tapped. Whether oh. it's Nas Reed, Jalen Noel, all three draft picks last year, some of the, you know, Jarrett even getting J- uh, Vanderbilt in the, Malik Beasley, you know, Rocco deal. And it just Get kind Beasley of Beasley in that deal. I mean, right. Yeah. I said it last week. I think he's the most successful GM we've had in franchise history. You know, Culver. I mean, look, Mikhail is the only other one in the running. Mm-hmm. Right. And he, he got one pick, right. Yeah. That was so right. It made KG. up for everything else. If he didn't get KG, he, a wouldn't have been around as long and no. B, wouldn't you know he would just be another one of the guys like i i don't even know where you'd rank him would he be yeah you know a david Conesk? i don't know but um he certainly wouldn't be looked at as favor favorably as he is now just because he had the benefit of yep drafting and, Kevin you know, Garner. kudos to him he that it took a lot of guts to take a high schooler in 1995 it takes no guts well today you can't do it but it, t- it takes no guts after that guy does it first after mikhail does it first anybody can right yeah um so I, I, yeah i i do think that is a issue and i do have a little bit of a concern that gupta is too analytical or too yep. stat heavy and does his scouting from behind a computer screen rather than in person um which is a little bit worrisome so so but, that's the risk the risk is that they lost their head scout you know and the talented evaluator and i think again, that, i that think that rosas led a lot a lot to be desired in terms of handling everything else in the job, whether it was, you know, there were reports that, you know, like the front office had decided on walkaway numbers when it came to contracts and he always chose to, you know, go above those numbers, whether it was Beasley or Wancho, you know, and Beasley seems like it's a good number. Wancho obviously wasn't. They had agreed on how much they'd be willing to trade for D'Lo and Rosas at the last moment decided that he was going to, you know, change protections and throw in even more and take on the luxury tax, you know, hit. And it's like, there's a reason we're still like less than one minimum salary player away from the luxury tax is because Rosas never really valued that flexibility or making sure that everything around the edges in terms of the salary cap sheet and whatever it happened to be was taken care of to the same level that his scouting was. Or he, or he overvalued his ability to make up the difference on other transactions on the road. Right. I believe that Gupta is going to, look at those things with the level of detail that's necessary to be successful, especially in this market and with the level of revenue coming into this franchise. But yeah, I, I am still a little worried that, you know, the 
Rosas was that main talent evaluator, especially for outside talent. You know, and if we lost that and Gupta isn't able to replicate it or he doesn't have the right guys in the front office anymore to replicate it and to have those guys, he might be able to swing the deals. He might be able to, if we, anybody can look at Ben Simmons and say Ben Simmons is an amazing player and he'd be a great fit in the Wolves and maybe he can go make that trade. Anybody except Doc Rivers and the Philadelphia Sixers. (laughs) Yeah. You know, so maybe he can go swing that because it's just easy to know. But, who are the other players being involved in that deal? Who are who's the, who are the fringe guys who aren't getting minutes in Philadelphia? Who you know need to be put in to make salary to make the salaries work? It's just that kind of stuff where I think Rosas had proven even in his two years he was pretty good at evaluating those types of things. If Gupta miss starts missing on some of those, it could hinder the, the improvement. But we really have no way of knowing because he's just stepped in the last week and into this role and he hasn't made a move yet. So right, and you know we we talked about it a little bit last week too. Um, you know, I mean, I, I said right after Rosas was fired that we're not, we're not a better front office after firing him because we've, we just lost one talented guy. Um, you know, and that's not to say that it wasn't deserved and, and whatever else, but you know, that, that's just the, the facts of the matter. We lost somebody, but on the positive side, and I, I think I touched on this last week as well, if not on the podcast, you and I talked about it, but I do think there is something to the fact that the other thing that Rosas had when he came in was he was he had a very specific style of play that he was committed to. Mm-hmm. And so he was going to fit players into that style. Like he was going to find guys that fit that style. Whereas I think Gupta is is probably less married to that style of play. And I think Finch is actually less married to that style of play. I think, you know, it worked for Finch in when he worked with Rosas previously. But I think Finch is a coach's coach where he's like, well, yeah, I can, there's other things. I can scheme other things to yeah. do with Get other Get me the talent and we'll make yeah. it work. But I, exactly. also, I also think I, the reverse of that is true as well, where it's going to be more of a traditional coach-GM relationship where Finch is going to have significantly more say into what the team needs in order to be successful and Gupta will go get it. He become almost Tibbs-like, you know, yeah. where he is the talent evaluator. He's the you know, the scheme guy, obviously all those things. And then Gupta is the, you know, find a way to get it done. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the numbers guy in, in, in a more proactive way than say Layden was in the Tibbs organization. Layden was really a figurehead that was just like doing the paperwork Yeah, is the way it sort of was talked about. Whereas I think Gupta would be more filling the same role he kind of did with Rosas, but doing it in a way where he's sort of doing it to his direct report, which would be, uh, Finch and be, if Finch is like okay here's what I think we need we need a rim protector just making that up and um, Gupta's like okay well here's the guys that I think we can get that are yep. gettable the assets we have which of these works best here's the guys I think work best you know and then they kind of work together it's more of a mutually agreed upon thing where I think I do think with Rosas particularly when Ryan was here yeah it was Rosas was just deciding who the players were going to be which players were going to play which kind of probably wasn't real fair to Ryan because then Ryan's the one whose job is on the line and he's playing guys that maybe he wouldn't necessarily play yet. Um, and so, you know, but you know, yeah, that did lead to Jane McDaniels playing more because I don't think Ryan was one of the ones that wanted to play him early. <laughs> so speaking of Ryan, did you see that he's been invited to help out at the Denver Nuggets training camp this week? Yeah. Yeah. And I was glad to hear that. I mean, yeah. that's hopefully he gets a, uh, uh, offer. Uh, yeah, some reports that he's had offers to be assistant coach, and he just hasn't been ready to leave Minnesota yet. So, I, I, but I do, I think everybody hopes that he lands on his feet and that he gets yeah. another assistant job because that'd be great for him. 
Yeah, especially there because I mean it's like great organization. Yeah, it's a good spot um, with a guy who was close to his dad. There's a lots the of guys over there that he has relationships with. Right, right. Yeah. So Calvin so, Booth and Mike Malone and that type of you know that type of group. So yeah, Adelman. Absolutely. Yep. It's a uh, David David Adelman over David there. Yep. yep. Cool. No, absolutely. So. Well, uh, the Wolves have invited four players to training camp to kind of round out the roster, make sure they have some even teams. They, they brought in Bruce Bowen the second, who started uh, on their summer league team. Uh, Matt Lewis, who was a four-year senior at James Madison, the CAA Player of the Year last year. Isaiah Miller, who a lot of us remember from his highlight reel dunks uh, during summer league, a guy that Chad and I talked about wanting to find a two-way spot for if they could make it, clear that up. And then uh, Chris, Silver, Chris Silva, who played uh, 15 games last year for the Heat and Kings. Nobody... Uh, Super consequential. Consequential. I wouldn't expect any of them to make the team because I don't think uh, either McKinley Wright or Nathan Knight are going to end up being promoted to full-time contracts, especially with the state of their, their salary cap sheet right now. Um, but just guys to keep an eye on or some names to remember into the future if, if some of those spots open up uh, long-term. Um, but we're not uh, going to deep dive into them because I don't think they're going to make the team. Instead, we have a few guys left uh, on the roster to kind of give our, our thoughts on for the upcoming season where we think they're going to be and what we're hoping for out of them, what we would like to see them do and accomplish in order to consider their seasons a success. We got through four last time. We'll see if we can get through the remaining uh, 10 tonight. Other, otherwise, we'll cut it off halfway through and we'll bring back the last, the final five, maybe the starting five back next time, even though we've already done Jaden McDaniel. So probably not the starting five. But <laughs> uh, Chad, let's start with uh, Leandro Barmero. What are you hoping for out of him this year? I... I... I just hope to see him play. I don't know if I want if I'm saying that from the that's what's best for the team standpoint or that's what's best for me as a fan. Um, I just I mean he looked extremely excited to be in the NBA at media day. Mm-hmm. Maybe he's just a happy guy. Um, but and I you know watched a little bit of him and during the Olympics and stuff, and I like his game. Uh, I don't know where he slides in or whose minutes he's going to take. I haven't really thought that through. I just I hope he earns minutes. That you know, be, you know, by the midway point of the season, I guess that would be my goal for him. Is like, can he earn the five to seven minutes a night, you yeah. know, by the Energy midway minutes. point? Yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, kind of, kind of what Jaden McDaniel did last year. I mean, Jaden actually earned a lot more than that by the end of the year. I'm not expecting that, but Jaden was like, a, not even didn't even have any sort of role for the first third of the season, and then he started to kind of get a couple minutes here and there because of injuries. And then all of a sudden you're like, this guy's popping, you know, I hope that's what I want to see out of Omaro. Yeah. You know, he's kind of, be, he's going to be competing with guys like Jake Lehman and Josh Akogi, you know, kind of the, the guys we don't expect to have significant roles on the team to see who, who not only can get a few minutes here and there at the end of games, but also who's going to be the first man in when an injury happens, you know, who's going to step up into that role. And it will depend on the injury, but I don't know. I, I feel like Balmero's, with his the style of play and the size that we've seen out of him, you know, as he's shown up here, like he could really go up or down. Like he's he got to be he's got to be every bit as big as Jake Lehman. Like he's a tall guy. He's much mm-hmm. taller than I expected him to be. You know, from the the style of play that we heard you know heard about you know into what we were expecting him coming in. When you hear about it, maybe he could be a backup point guard or maybe he's going to be a you know just kind of a perimeter defender. It's like he's got to be six seven six eight out there. He's a really tall, lanky guy, and he's. Not, you know, rail thin. He's not a Jaden McDaniels in thinness either. So I don't see any significant difference between him and, uh, and Jake Lehman in size. And then with Akogi, it's kind of a similar role. Like, which one of them is going to be that 
that bench wing that is going to be the pesky defender, you know, and it could even be Jalen Noel minutes. I mean, he, yeah. you know, I, I mean, Noel, I, Noel at this point is probably okay. 13th, 14th for me. In the okay. Depth I, chart. I thought you were maybe yeah. thinking he might be getting more minutes than Okogi and Layman, the way you kind of threw them in there. So I, I wasn't sure where you sort of had them. No, I, I, I put say, those three ahead of Noel at this point. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. Then I, I agree a hundred percent. Cause I, I mean, and I like Jalen Noel's game, but He's one of those guys that like he pops yeah. for a couple minutes in one game, and then the next. So then the next game, we're like, oh, great, no- Noel's going to get a chance to play in this one because somebody's still out or whatever. And then he gets in there and does nothing, you know. So that's just he's a streaky player right now, and so I I think Bomaro could steal some of the minutes that he had last year, like you said, Okogi and Layman. I I still hope Layman gets more minutes because we were a good, or I shouldn't say we were a good team. We were a better team whenever Layman was on the floor, mm-hmm. um, and so. I think he, I mean, he's not that old. He's the second oldest player on the team and he's freaking 27. Yeah. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Um, so I, I do hope he gets more time this year. And you know, now that Wancho's gone, we have less guys that kind of play that role. Him and Wancho kind of overlap quite a bit. And I think the pressure was to play Wancho because of the big contract. Um, and now that he's gone, I think that opens a spot for Lehman. So, but I tend to agree. Bomaro is sort of right there. I mean, I guess Lehman could be the other guy we, we, uh, talk about here because they're kind yeah, of he's, he's, so he's coming up next he's actually right above balmero and salary for this year he's on the third year of his three-year contract he is i, I did see a report that layman uh vanderbilt and prince went off to work together in one group at, at training camp in the first day and Mc, uh, mcdaniels was actually sent over with the wings you know even more evidence that he might end up playing more small forward this year mm-hmm. um layman is probably you know the last especially last year was considered more of a power forward on the roster in the time that he got to spend out there. I know he was started the first couple of games of the season. I don't know if he even scored in the, in those two games and dealt with injuries after that and just kind of lost his spot in the rotation. But, um, but yeah, I don't know. Like, I just don't know where he, he's another guy. I don't know where he falls, but he's also not a guy that they seem to have an, a future invested in, especially with Rosas out. So I don't, he's going to really need to play his way into a role here because he's, even a power forward with Vanderbilt and Prince, you know, clearly ahead of him in the pecking order. I'm not sure where he, he's going to clearly find minutes. I don't know. I mean, I just don't think, I, I mean, I like Vanderbilt, but I don't think he's a 35 minute a night worthy guy either. He might be certain nights because of what he does, but I'm fine with him getting 28 to 30 minutes until mm-hmm. he refines his game. Um, and, you know, I think Prince is going to play a lot of three too. So uh, I, to me, Prince and Layman are, are very similar, you know, where yep. I think yep. to me, what Except Prince is a shooter both, and Layman's a cutter. Yeah. But Layman can shoot. Um, I'm just saying in terms of what, what spot they'll play the, on the floor is why they're similar mm-hmm. to me. Yep. Um, and then I think Bomaro and Noel, again, their games aren't necessarily similar, but they're, I think those are the, the guy to fight. I think Okogi's got a role regardless because of his energy and his defense. I think he'll find a way to play minutes. I don't think those other four guys, I could see Prince not being like Ed Davis last year where for whatever reason that they just don't play him, you know, um, you know, that's not the expectation now, but this time last year, we weren't expecting Ed Davis to not end up with any minutes either. We were expecting him to play a lot of those backup center minutes. Um, and he, I mean, even when Cat went down, he barely played. So, so who knows, you know, between those guys, you know, I think just because of Kogi's time here, he's sort of earned the minutes that 
you know, he gets, I think he's one of those guys that coaches probably love too, because he works so hard. Yeah. Um, and so they want to see him succeed. I think Okogi talking about guys who are hot on their, um, getting a net, their next contract. I think he's one of those. So, you know, for me, Layman, it's, it's Layman and Prince are being battling. I do think Prince has probably got the edge right now because of his salary and stuff as well. But again, how, what's his long-term future here either? I mean, his long-term future is he's no also an expiring, more, right? Right. He's no more cemented here than, than Layman. In fact, I would argue he's probably more expendable because if there is a trade that comes down for a Simmons type, Prince is almost certainly going to be included because he's an expiring bigger money deal to kind of help balance things out. Yeah. You know, and just to round it out on Layman, I, I think it's, I, what would I like to see from him in terms of having a, considering it a successful year? I, I'd like to see the three-point shot round out, you know, to be a little bit more consistent. You know, he was at he was under 30% last year. He was, he got his uh two-point percentage back up to where it was before, you know, his first year with Minnesota or it be sorry, his last year with Portland. So the you know, kind of what they brought him in as is a cutter. He was at 64% on two-point shots, but you know, at 29 and a half percent on three, he's going to need to be able to hit that shot a little bit better to be even a reliable stretch four um which at his size, he's going to need to be to, to be on the floor a lot, and I think that's kind of you know what they're looking for out of Prince is that you know that forty percent catch and shoot, three point shooter. Um, so I, I think he is starting the the season pretty low on the depth chart, but uh, you know fingers crossed that he's actually able to to get some minutes here and there, and you know hit a, a couple more shots to really just prove that value. Because I think everything else, like you said, that he does on the floor is valuable. I think he's a smart player who knows where to be. He knows when to cut. He can show the guys a lot of things. The team seems to click a little bit better when he's on the floor. It's just teams can load up a little bit too much if he's not making shots. So if his... Yeah, and, he, and he knows his role where, you yeah. know, a lot of the guys on our team are still sort of chasing that alpha role on the team, whether mm-hmm. that's D'Lo, that's Cat, that's Beasley, that's Ant. Um where you put Layman with any of those guys, and you just know, like, Layman's going to take the right shots. He's not going to force a shot because he's not really necessarily looking. Now, maybe that'll change this year because he's up for a contract. But um, I think, you know, history has shown that he usually plays smart basketball. And so I hope he has a bigger role than he had last year. I, You know, I'm not asking for him to get 20 minutes a night, but I'd like to see him get, like, 10 minutes a night would be yeah great. So I you know the next guy and we've talked about him a bit already is Josh Okogie. He's on the the final year of his rookie contract at just over four million. He is extension eligible. I don't I don't think it makes any sense for them to offer him an extension heading into this year, especially with him being a qualified you know having the qualifying offer next year and being a restricted free agent. He's gonna he's kind of gonna need to have a prove it year in terms of what his role is and how valuable he can actually be. If he can, I think at the end of the year once Finch was in, he started to show a little bit the system changed a little bit so that he had more freedom to not just stand in the corner and let, you know, guys play off of him by 20 feet. He was screening more. He was attacking more off the catch. He was setting screens. If he was wide open, it's kind of the same thing that Draymond green does. If they're not guarding, you'd go set a screen so that, you know, then you're playing two on one. So he did a little bit more of that at the end of the season. His offense proved to be a little bit more valuable, even though he was kind of working his way back into the rotation and kind of lost his spot for a little bit. But, um, like, like you said, I think he will be given the benefit of the doubt. They've they've always loved him, Minnesota. He's the second longest tenured Timberwolf behind Carl Anthony Towns, um, and it's just a matter of can he prove to be reliable enough on offense to make the impact that we know he can make on defense. And we've seen it. 
you know, we've seen him play different roles and it's not always just hitting three pointers. He's provide, you know, contributed to winning, but, um, you know, we talked about, you know, with Jalen Noel, we just wanted to see consistency. I'd like to see consistency out of Josh Okogie and whether yeah. he needs a system to do that, or if he just needs to kind of lock in for a good 20 game stretch and show that, you know, even, you know, Marcus Smart improved his three point shot enough to be reliable or, you know, some of the other top defenders in the league, they don't, they don't just stand there and let the other team play five on four. So, um, if he can find a role and be consistent, I'd love to see that because I want to see that guy around here. He seems to love Minnesota, and he seems to be a guy that you know that the franchise is very proud of. Oh, he's an awesome guy. I mean, anytime you watch him speak, you're like, oh, like this is. I I, I would wish more of our professional athletes like had his character because I just think he's a great guy. But mm-hmm. so I, I agree. I what I'm hoping to see from him is just I, I want to see him become more comfortable taking. His shots. I mean, it's not that he's Ben Simmons where he's like shying away from the shots, but he just looks like when he does shoot it, it's not, it's like he's expecting it to not go in. Um, yeah. But he's willing, he's a willing shooter. He's just not a confident shooter. And I want to see him kind of gain confidence in, in his shot because, like, you know, he has games where he's on and he, you know, he'll get 20 points pretty quickly while playing exceptional defense. So, I mean, that's if he can get to that, that that makes him, you know, a, a, that's the difference between fighting for a spot on a team and a ten million dollar a year contract. Right. Like if he could, you know, have a realist, uh, you know, reliable jump shot and be the defender he is, you know, look out. I mean, he's going to get a big deal somewhere. Yeah, you know, it's just a matter of is it a is it a Jared Vanderbilt type deal at the end of this but, year, or is it like you said in that ten million dollar range where it's like you're you know, you probably sell it, you know, trade fodder at that point because you're always going to be a matching contract, but yeah, at right. least you, you got, you got paid, you know, in the process. So, um, yeah, I, you know, we all love him. I hope he sticks around and I'd love to see a successful season out of him where he can really make a name, you know, remember him the same way you remember Trenton Hassel. You know, he didn't spend a long time in Minnesota, but everybody's always going to finally remember him as a defender on that, you know, Western conference finals team. So yep. if the team is winning and he's actually contributing to it, he's going to be well-respected. Uh, Jared Vanderbilt, like we, you know, just mentioned his name. He's coming up next. He's starting the first year of a three-year contract, which is really only a, a two-year contract plus one as a team option. Uh, he'll be just under four point three million this year, which I think, as you know, we talked about this at length, we think is a really great deal for what his skill set is. As long as he's able to stay healthy and avoid more foot issues, I think um, he's going to make a significant impact. Uh, Matt Moore, you know, HP Basketball on Twitter was putting out some Timberwolves stats earlier and. That they've been talking a lot over the last couple of days how they're going to change their defense. They're going to be up at the level of the screen more often on pick and rolls. So that's, you know, both Carl and all the other bigs are going to be, you know, not dropping on the pick and rolls. They're going to be, you know, playing up there at the same level as the ball handler and the screener. Um, and the Timberwolves last year were number one in the league in defensive points per possession when playing at the level of the screen. So I think that speaks to Carl's ability as a defender at that level, which he's always said he's more comfortable at instead of just standing back and waiting for guys to come at him. He's able to to be more aggressive but you know as i think we brought this up but there were stats out there that jared vanderbilt was the number one perimeter big defender in the league last year you know and I th- so i think if you're going to try to play at the level of the screen and you're going to have bigs that can move their feet you know the same way that jade mcdaniels and jared vanderbilt and carl anthony towns can it it only makes sense to be like you know what we're going to use our mobility and you know the fact that we can stick with these guards more so than just trying to 
put a bunch of you know length and size underneath the basket and try to be Joel Embiid or Rudy Gobert down there, which just doesn't work with the, the players that we have. So um, I think Vanderbilt can play a huge role in this defense if, if that's the, the way they're going to play. Yeah, and I mean, he's another one that's tough for me in terms of expectations because he's kind of like, I think I said it last week about like Nas, about just more of the same. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think Vanderbilt's got more, like he's better defensively than Nas is at any one thing. But Nas is more, you know what you're going to get out of Nas on both sides of the ball more than you know what you're going to get out of Vanderbilt on offense, Yeah, <laughs> if that makes any sense. And so well, I would like him to become a more consistent offensive player. Um, whether that, that doesn't, I, I don't care if he scores even 10 points a game. If he's an eight point per game guy, but he's, you know, not, not a, uh, you know, volume shooter, doesn't need a lot of shots to get that. And he is, becomes a better passer, maybe, you know. Like, carves out a role on the offense. Because we don't need more scores, but we do need guys that know how to function within the offense with a D'Lo and Ant and Cat on the floor at the same time. Because those guys are all going to get their 20 points. Um, and so, you know, and then Beasley, you got who's going to be real close to the 20. Mm-hmm. Even if he's come off the bench, he's going to be in that, you know, 18-point range probably. And so, you know, for Vanderbilt, I don't care if he scores, but I do want him to be a better offensive player. If that makes any sense. Like, yeah. And so do other things, you know, set the right screens, make the right passes, you know, um, do all the other, the little things to get the scores, the ball, and he make, make their shots a little easier. Yeah. You know, I, if you brought up his per 36 numbers from last year, which, you know, I don't think even as a starter, he'd get 36 minutes, but a guy, you know, at Carl's level typically would. So um, if you're comparing apples to apples, you know, he'd be at 11 points, 12 rebounds, two steals, one and a half blocks, you know, shooting 60% from the floor. So, just really a guy out there to make his name on defense and hustle. And I think that's fitting in with the rest of that roster, especially if McDaniel slides down to the three, if you're bringing Beasley off the bench, you know, I think he's, he'd be a really good fit there. Um, And it would just, if you're still pursuing Ben Simmons into the season, like it just gives you a semblance of what the roster is going to look like, you know, with another, with another non-shooter on the floor, like Simmons can do so much more than Vanderbilt can on offense as a ball handler, as a mover, as a, you know, you know, whatever it happens to be, especially in transition. But, um, in the half court offense, they'd play a very similar role. They're going to screen and roll. They're going to, you know, find their spots. They're going to have to move around to not just be, you know, have the defense ignore them at the three point line. So if you can build an offense around a successful power forward that just isn't a shooter, and not well, like, and, be dependent and he would, on that, he would show up to games last year wearing those Robin t shirts. Right. If he could be Robin, I mean, it sounds crazy because Robin was a what, two and a half, three point per game guy with yeah. the Bulls, but he was a good offensive player in their system. Like he fit that role. He set good picks. He was a good passer. Yeah. And he was a genius passer too, yeah. which made a, a big difference. So. Right. And so Vanderbilt, if, I mean, I, you know, he's never going to be Rodman, but if he, if, if that's the guy, you know, like you know, one of the, the comments that we didn't mention about media day is, you know, um, Jaden was asked which guys he's trying to emulate, you mm-hmm. know, in the off season. And he listed off uh, Siakam, and yeah. uh, Jonathan Isaac and Brandon Ingram yeah. and guys like that, all perfect guys for physical a guy. comps at least. Yeah. Yeah. Physical comps and, and have the skills that you would want a Jaden McDaniels to have. If he was to take the best traits of each of those guys, mm-hmm. I would be ecstatic for Jaden. Um, and, and, and they're all realistic. I think for Jaden, similarly for Vanderbilt, I, is it, is it realistic for Vanderbilt to be a 20 rebound guy? Probably no. not. Yeah. But was it realistic looking at Rodman coming in for him to be a 20 rebound guy? No, but it does take a different mentality. Um, but if, if he could become Rodman-esque 
where he's averaging 10 rebounds a game, mm-hmm. 11 rebounds a game, and do, playing the same role in offense that Robin played, great, that's fantastic. I mean, he doesn't need to score to be a good offensive player. You know, if you... Rodman played with a lot of really good players, especially when he played with, like, David Robinson in San Antonio, and he was still a good rebounder at that time. But if you look at him with the Bulls, like, Luke Longley was his center. So if you want to consider this, like, the same role, like, if you put a guy like Steven Adams at center next to Jared Vanderbilt, where Adams was just you being the biggest guy on the floor and keeping guys boxed out and moving him out of the way the same way he did for Russell Westbrook, and you just let Vanderbilt attack every rebound, he could get his numbers up to 15 rebounds sure. again. You know, whatever happens. But he's like, when he's playing next to Carl, Carl's still attacking rebounds too. You know, he's yep. he's not he's not boxing out for others to get rebounds. You know, so... No. Um, so, yeah, I think the, the potential is there. Like, like we were talking about, he's never going to be the passer. You know, on offense, he's never going to be the guy who's able to keep the offense flowing the same way if you're going to try to hit him and make you know make him make a short roll pass out to the corner or whatever it happens to be. He's not going to be involved in those heavy offensive sets a lot, um, which is just, if you wanted to continue to talk about Simmons, that would be in, in the half court where he'd take a step above what Vanderbilt would offer. But, um, but no, I, I think if, you know, if we're taking a look, and you've brought this up plenty of times, but if you're taking a look at, like, if you're sending out Jaden McDaniels and you're moving Vanderbilt to the bench and you're losing Beasley and whatever else, like Simmons is awesome. And I think you can replace some of those attributes, you know, with other players, you know, which is why you always trade three quarters for a dollar if you can. Um, but a lot of the things that Simmons does are being replicated by other players on the Timberwolves. It's just a matter of are the minutes there? Does it make sense in a way that you're not like losing value because you have too many players trying to step on top of each other to, Provide or yeah, value. or are you giving up five quarters to get a dollar? Like the dollar bill is easier mm-hmm. to carry and all that, but you're still giving up a little bit more value. That that's my bigger issue with giving up all the picks and Jaden and the Simmons thing. Um, in addition to the fact that we have guys that can do some of those things, like Vanderbilt and J- I mean Vanderbilt and Jaden, you know they do like roughly fifty percent of what Simmons does. You know, yeah. um, and and Jaden is one of those guys that I think can. He could become a 75% of the player that Simmons is and, you know, which would make him a borderline all-star, you know, mm-hmm. selection once or twice in his career, you know, like kind of, kind of guy. Um, so yeah, you know, we'll see, but you know, I mean, like I, again, Vanderbilt, like I said, like Nas is another guy where there's not a lot of things I think he needs to do, but if he can just become better offensive player without being a scorer, I think we're going to be pleased with what he uh, produces for us yeah I, i'm very much looking forward to him he's always, he's been one of my favorite players ever since he started getting real minutes and uh just seeing him go out i don't think we're gonna get through uh all 10 here but let's close it out with uh anthony edwards let's go on out on another high note before we bring it back for our five highest paid players next week uh anthony edwards i, I mean what more is there to say besides the fact that he's even bigger this year than he was last year and last year he was already a machine so um, he's coming in after a runner-up Rookie of the Year finish, which I don't think anybody even really cares about anymore. You know, nobody remembers Rookie of the Year when it comes to long-term career standings. Unless that's all they did. Right. One, like Wiggins, that's all he did was doing. <laughs> yep, Michael Carter-Williams. There you go. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, sky's the limit. I think if there's, you know, we've talked about plenty of reasons for optimism for the Timberwolves this upcoming year. I think Anthony Edwards continuing to take an upwards trajectory, like, I think, like, if we're being realistic, we we know he's not going to take the same leap from year one to year two that he did from the first half of his rookie year to the second half of his rookie year. Like, he can't that that trajectory isn't realistic to continue. I think we would love to. I think you know 
we're secretly hoping that he does like you know it's an all-star second year he, you know he becomes a luca you know that type of thing um honestly for me if he could even re- reproduce what he did over the second half of last year for a full season i'd count this year as a win if he could do 23 points per game on you know average efficiency as a second year player as a 20 year old and just be you know in that conversation of whether it's all-star snub or you know top 25 under 25 you know be getting into the top five or ten of that rather than being put at like 23 or whatever it is that's come out recently it's like just making sure that everybody knows like this guy is legit this guy's for real and he's moving forward in a way that is undoubtable you know yeah i and i i would be ecstatic with that as well you know because especially what he did the second half of the year with some guys out like beasley out you know all part of that so now if, if those two guys are healthy as well, like to be able to put, produce the same level when there are other guys he has to share the ball with that he didn't necessarily have to share with last season would be great. I think the other thing I would look for is him fitting in better into a defensive scheme that might be a more permanent defensive set for him with Finch now at the helm. Um, I, I think, you know, last year he was sort of, you know, he was finding a role on defense by playing the passing lanes and he was actually really really good at that mm-hmm. um but as a one-on-one defender he was really bad at that so if he can get and, and he has all the tools to be good at that so that would be where i'd like to see you know see what finch has in store for him i it's hard to say because this is one of those goals i it's not just on ant it's also on the coaching staff to find a role on defense to to make him a more um, productive player on that end of the court but offensively I like I mean he's he's doing everything and then some that I want like I didn't think he'd be that good of a three-point shooter his rookie year yeah um and so like you know if he just improves that a little bit I, like he, he like you said he could just be what he was last year the second half of the season and he's already you know close to a Donovan Mitchell-esque player you know he's uh maybe not doesn't have the the effect on the rest of the game that Donovan Mitchell has, but on offense, you know, similar. And so like, it's, yeah, I mean, he's, he was one of the lone bright spots on the, that 2020 season. I mean, he was great. I mean, I think he, you talked to training camp about, you know, they asked him what he worked on. He said he worked on shooting, all kinds of shooting, mid range, pull-ups, step backs, you know, just everything, just working on a shooting all off season. He was some in, magic in, tricks and right, some yeah. escape routines and <laughs> coming, coming back like Houdini, still not telling everybody what he's doing, but um, but yeah, if, I mean, we want him to take a step forward. We'd love for him to take a step forward, but even, you know, Donovan Mitchell went from 20 and a half points his rookie year to 23.8, you know, his second year, um, and then kind of just stayed there at 24 for his third year. So if, you know, Ant was around 17 last year when you put the whole season together after his slow start and then his big finish, if, if he went from 17 to 23 for a full year, you know, and that's just kind of the role that he had and he was the, the primary perimeter go-to player on offense you know he started taking on that mantle and that role as the initiator and you know the the go-to guy I think that's just kind of what you want to see out of him this second year and things will really start falling into place especially like you said if Beasley's out there spreading the floor if D'Lo's there to you know to take turns with to make sure that you know he's getting his touches and he he can work his two-man game with Towns as well and Edwards flashed a great two-man game with Towns as well when D'Lo was out, and if they can continue to, to build on that and put new wrinkles into it with the horn sets and you know all the different offensive wrinkles that Finch put in, um, 
I think it's just going to, you know, the sky's the limit offensively. And I, we said that last year, even with Jess D'Lo and Towns as, you know, kind of the initiators of the offense. But to add in a guy like Edwards, who showed the ability to also be at that level at, at, offensively already, is just another weapon that they have at their disposal. Oh, yeah. And then and then having Beasley as a spot of shooter. I mean, so the, offensively, there's, you know, it, it, it would be hard to mess this up offensively. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so, um I think for all these guys, so, you know, I mean, that's why you just want the guys that aren't scorers like the Vanderbilt or the Yokogis to be able to kind of find a role as a screener, as a passer. Um, you know, let's just because like you look at the really successful teams over the years, whether, you know, let's just take the Warriors of recent years and the Bulls. You know, they had a lot. They had a couple scores on the floor at any given time with a bunch of guys that really knew how to play their role. And what the wolves the last you know even last year they had a lot of guys who are terrific offensive players but they they didn't really find their their role with each other yet and so they were it was almost like they were stepping on each other to score when everybody was out there um you know for obviously big chunks of the season we didn't have enough scores cuz Beasley was the only scorer on the floor yeah. for a while and um but when it was you know when ant was obviously there with Beasley but he wasn't that was bad ant or worse and I wouldn't say he was ever bad, but he wasn't as good as he was the second half of the season. And then by the end of the season, when you have D'Lo, Ant, and Towns all playing together, mm-hmm. you know, now you're going to go into the season, you have those three, if they continue playing at the level they were playing at the end of the season, and then you add Beasley, you know, I mean, Beasley would have killed for that early in the season. You know, like in, yeah. in December when we were watching Beasley just trying to win, I, mean, I forget who we were playing, but there was a game where Beasley was just doing everything to win the game. Yeah. And then... Like we had a chance. It was like but, it wasn't like twenty point fourth quarter game. Yeah, yep, that yeah. game, and we had a chance to win at the end. And then Ryan drew up a play to somebody else, and yeah. I was just like, "This guy gave you everything for the entire game, and you're going to go to someone else." Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't remember who it was. Even I was just so disgusted. But anyway, um, but yeah, you, you know, put those four with Jaden McDaniels, you know, holding it together. And Vanderbilt and yeah, you know, the starting lineup and the closing lineup might not be the same. Finch has clearly said like teams go smaller at the end, so Beasley's probably going to be out there to close games. You know, you'll you'll go with the D'Lo, Beasley, Ant, Jaden, and Towns. You know, roster your their lineup on the floor, and you just how do you help off of anybody in that scenario? How do you even make a decision as a defense as to where to go? And if they can find any semblance of a defense out of those five, that would be incredible. So yeah, that was the other comment Beasley made at media day was somebody asked them like. Well, can you, Ant and D'Lo, how, how can you guys get better defensively to stop other teams if mm-hmm. all three of you are on the floor together? And he goes, I don't know, but they, they have to stop to us too. You yeah. know, like that's the attitude you want from your shooter. Yeah. You know? So, so well, we'll bring it back next week. We will uh, see if anything else pops up in training camp. We're gonna they have their first preseason game on Monday, so we'll we'll, we'll talk about what happened there, um, and then we'll close it out with uh, Torian Prince, Patrick Beverly, Malik Beasley, D'Angelo Russell, and uh, the star of the franchise, Carl Anthony Towns. Talk about what our expectations are for the upcoming year, and then uh, we'll be pretty close to the season here, Chad. Yeah, I'm, I'll be at the game on Monday, so I'm looking forward to getting back. I we only got to uh, like two, I think, last year because of COVID protocols. They didn't, you know, they were like half filled arenas, so it'll be fun. To, uh, fun. To, I mean, I don't know who will play for the Wolves. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I, I'm sure they all will play a little bit, but very little. Um, so I'm hoping like a Bulmaro plays quite a bit of minutes. Yeah, that'd be fun. Kinda, I expect yeah. a scouting report out of you after the game. All right. I'll all tell right, you buddy. how the dogs are. All right. Have a great week. Thank you, man. Take care. Bye.